Well, good morning, church. I feel like I should introduce myself. I'm Scott Weatherford. So I was out of town last week. Somebody asked me how my vacation was, and I want to clear up something, okay? I was not on vacation. I was out of town. When you go to visit your family, it's not a vacation. You're just out of town, okay? So uh, Tara and I made our way, uh, Tara's my wife, we made our way to Orlando, Florida, to the kingdom of the rat, Mickey Rat. And uh, we went, uh, did not go to Disney World, thank the Lord, but we went to a graduation of my nephew. Uh, he was one of 869 graduates from his graduating class. So rather a big uh, uh, high school there in uh, Orlando. And, and then we came back and spent some time with my sister and my brother in the panhandle of Florida. And really we had a great time, but it was not a vacation. So we we're just out of town, but I miss you guys. And I hope you miss me. I want to thank Sean Sivils for doing a great job of uh, filling in for uh, me while I was gone. Sean's here someplace. Um, I tell you something real cool. Sean and Aaron moved to Wimberley yesterday. Now our, now our entire pastoral team lives in Wimberley. Who would ever know that? That's just great. So we're all here amongst you guys in the beautiful heart of the hill country here in, in Wimberley. There's no place quite like Wimberley. Wouldn't you agree with that? The beautiful water. Uh, it's so cool here. A cool front blew through last night. I think it's like 45 degrees out there today. In fact, in this weather, the only person that's happy is the devil. He's the only one that likes it hot. But uh, anyway, it's, uh, it's going to be fun. There's a lot of great things that are happening for us here in our church this summer. I think Scott Tidwell said it so well a couple of weeks ago. If you want to have a laid back summer, we're probably not going to hang around us because we've got our foot to the gas. A lot of great things going on. Uh, baptism coming up in a couple of weeks in Cypress Creek. Uh, and then again in July, then again in August. Uh, outdoor baptisms. Plus, at the end of July... My brother, Dr. Stan Weatherford, is coming to do what we call Summer Soak. He will preach that weekend, uh, the last weekend of July, and then on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, he'll be teaching an extended view of 1 John. So you guys can look forward to that. Some of you guys says, I ain't going to that. But many of you are going to go to that, so just uh, look forward to that coming up. Also, this month, this is kind of exciting. Um, our staff, our whole team, is attending a conference out in California. There'll be about... Uh, 3,500 pastors and leaders from all around the world there in this conference. And this week they asked me to speak at it. So I guess they've run out of people to speak at it. So, uh, but it's really cool what God's doing for us and in this church and this little place. Now I want you to know this. Wimberley's a small town, right? And this is a relatively small church in a small town, right? Wrong. God does not judge a church by its seating capacity, but it's by its sending capacity. And God wants us to be a healthy church, not necessarily a large church. Every time I go to the doctor, he does not celebrate my size. <laughs> he celebrates my health. He didn't say, oh, Pastor Scott, you got so big since last time I saw you. Never, never. Quite the opposite conversation. He has a talking scale. I got on it the other day. It said, one at a time, please. All right, that's enough of that nonsense. So this week, we start a new series. Uh, this last series, we've been talking about hope for us and open relationships. And we had uh, last week, Sean talked about putting on the armor of God, which is a great message, great timely message. Now we're going to be talking about hope for us as a church. What does it mean to be a part of a family? Now, you've heard me say this over and over and over, okay? God wants us to be a family. The church is a family, 
We're not an institution or an organization, and it's not a building. This is a church building. It's not the church. Are you with me? Did you know John Wesley? Any of y'all grew up Methodist? Raise your hand if you did. It's okay. You can raise your hand. They're kind of shy. Okay. Did you know John Wesley got in trouble with the Methodist church? Uh, excuse me. The almost fell off the dead gum stage. <laughs> with the Anglican church. Some of y'all almost won the pool. I told you he was going to fall off. He got in trouble with the Anglican church for preaching outside of the church building. They had it so messed up. They thought the church was a building. It's not. The church building is a place where our family gathers. Like Tara and I have a home. We have a home. Uh, we've, we've, our home's being remodeled right now, so we're kind of homeless. Actually, we have a home we're making payments on. It's just destroyed. You can't live there. <laughs> Eventually, we can live there after we pay all our money. I'm looking to sell a kidney if anybody wants to sell a slightly used kidney. Uh, I'm chasing a rabbit right now. My mind said I could tell the joke about a liver. If you want to buy a liver, always buy it from a Baptist preacher because it's slightly used. <laughs> but I'm glad I didn't tell that joke. Okay. <clears throat> but Tara and I have had many homes over the years. We've had many different houses over the years. But Tara has always been my home. She's always been my home. Wherever Tara is, that's where home is. And I have been her home. And she's added on to her home over the years. Yeah. It's another fat joke. I'll, I'll miss that. But that's the truth. This, we are a family. And God, listen to us. God brings you into a family when you trust in him. That he wants you to bring into a family. Now, what makes, you, what makes a family a family? What makes a family is one or two things. It's either a family relationship by blood that you are blood relatives. Now, my nephew, who I went to see graduate, is not my blood family. He's my Tara's brother's son. So he has no shared DNA with me. He's probably happy about that. There's no shared DNA. But he's family. Why is he family? Because of the relationship I have with his brother's sister, with his father's sister. Sound like East Texas all of a sudden. Okay. That we're family together because of those blood relationships. But then there's a second way for us to be a family, and that's the de decision, the decision of adoption. That you're brought into a family because someone chose you to bring you into a family. So it's the blood relation or the decision of adoption. But in Christ, it's both. It's the blood of Christ on the cross that has made us a family. And it's the decision, the will of God to adopt you into that family. So what does all that mean? That means in the church relationship, if you're a Christian, you're closer biologically and genetically and spiritually than you are just in blood relation. We may not share the same DNA, but we share the same Savior. And that makes us a family. And it makes that bond even closer. My brother Stan... Dr. Stan, I was speaking at his church one weekend, and he introduced me. This is my brother, Scott, my younger brother, Scott. And he talked about, you know, education and where I was pastoring and blah, 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 all that kind of stuff. And he said, but here's the best thing about my brother. We share the same mom and dad, and that makes us brothers. But we share the same Savior, and that makes us closer than brothers. 
Now you look around this room today, and those of you who've claimed the name of Christ together, we're family. And it's a family that should change the way we operate, the way we think, the way we relate to one another. There is nothing in the world worse than be hurt by your family. And there's nothing in the world worse than be hurt by your church family. That's why we have to be extra careful to be extra loving and extra accepting and extra kind and extra forgiving because we belong to Christ and we belong to one another. You think some folks have forgotten that? I had someone the other day said, you know, pastor, I've been hurt by the church. I went, okay. I've been a pastor for 37 years. Do you think I've ever been hurt by the church? Lots of times. But even when we don't mean to wound each other, we do. But in the family of God, we should be extra careful. Would you not agree? And so we're going to go on a journey over the next several weeks about what does it mean to be reconciled with God as a family and what does it mean to be reconciled to one another in the church? What does that mean and how do we then operate? And then after we finish that series, we're going to look at the next series. And this call series is called The Hope for the Church. And this is You've Been Made Right with God, Hope of Reconciliation. And then the next series we're going to look at is how do we become the hope of the world? How do we lean into the oppressed and the exploited? What is our responsibility in social justice? How does God want us to respond in social justice? Now, social justice is kind of a hot topic in the world today, especially in the world, the church world and how we're gonna respond. I want, you to, I want you to hear very carefully. The gospel, telling people how to be saved and right with God, without social justice is irresponsible because people need relief from their suffering, do they not? Did y'all know there's 37, excuse me, 27 million slaves in the world today? More slaves in the world today than ever in, in time of human history. We said, well, there's no slaves in Texas. You want to guess again? Do you want to guess that illegal immigration really is the heart of slavery? As people are smuggled into this country to work in a shadow economy for less wages than they should earn, and they're being exploited by people who hire them to work in a shadow economy, quote, unquote, illegal? Oh. Did you know that sex trafficking is obliterating and destroying young lives over and over and over. Less than 2% of the women who are in the sex industry today are in there by choice, the rest by exploitation. We'll sit out here in Texas. Huh. Did you know I-35 is a corridor for human trafficking like you would not believe? And Austin and San Antonio and Houston are hotbeds of, of, of people being sold into bondage. What are we gonna do about that? The churches be the hope of the world. But let me say this to you. Social justice without the gospel message is heresy. Because if you rescue some people from the plight of being exploited without telling them about the eternality and that life with Jesus forever and ever and ever, they may be rescued, but they spend eternity separated from God in a devil's hell, and that is not loving. We have a responsibility to do both. So the next series, we're going to wade into that. We're going to look at the God's heart and social justice, what he has to say about it. Over 300 passages about caring for the, the exploited and the poor and the oppressed. Uh, we're not going to use all 3,000, okay? But that's a lot. And so God's going to take us on that adventure. Then we're going to end the summer with looking at what is our mission in the world to be the hope of the world. This could be a fun adventure. 
But today, I want to talk to you about the greatest message I could talk to you about is that you have been made right with God. You have been made right with God. Or maybe today's your day to to be made right with God. So let's jump in this adventure. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning. And I pray that you speak through me. That'll not be my words or my thoughts, but Father, your truth that will lead us into understanding and your truth that will set us free. And I thank you for how good you are, how faithful you are, and how you want to build our lives that we may honor you. So speak through me today. I pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen. I want to invite you to reach into your bulletins and take out the Take the Weekend With You notes. You'll find them there in the bulletin. Also, I want to encourage you that we have more materials for you that can be found on our website. Uh, Take a look at this slide and I'll show you how to find them. That if you go on to firstbaptistwimberly.com and you click on uh, Hope for the church. Just click on that and a menu will drop down and we have extra videos and study guides to go with this. You could do this in your Sunday school environment, any group environment, your home group environment, your men's, your women's environment. You might want to do it with your family. You could gather two or three people together in a coffee shop and do this. We make this accessible so you could take the conversation deeper. All of these are complementary to the talks I'm giving every weekend. So we keep wanting to build your life by giving you extra curriculum. And why do we do that? Because we're bored. We have nothing else to do. No, it's because we love you. That's why. And we want to give you a full experience of understanding who God is and what he wants you to become as a a life that honors him. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt disconnected, disconnected? Sure you have. All of us have. Have you ever felt you showed up to a place you just weren't wanted or weren't included? Are you wondered what the heck is going to go on? Now, some of you are here for the first time this weekend, and, and that's great. We welcome you. We want to make you feel welcome. That's why we do cookies and coffee and, bless God, pigs in a blanket. I mean, I think they come right out of the kitchen of Jesus and delivered here. Every week we have a a ministry called Cooking to Connect and they make all these wonderful things so that you can feel welcome. But you know the number one emotion people feel when they pull in this parking lot for the first time? I felt it first time I pulled up here. Fear. What are they going to do in there? What are they going to ask me to do in there? I remember when I was early, young in the ministry, it was in this church and we're trying to be friendly and our pastor said, if you're a guest today, We want you to remain seated and everybody who's a member will stand up around you. And I'm thinking, the guests are looking at everybody's backsides. That ain't loving, helpful. I mean, that's just a stinky way to greet people, right? Y'all are a little behind in my jokes, okay? Another pun. I mean, come on, y'all. Okay, anyway. Uh, Another thing we used to do is stand up and tell us who you are and where you're from. You know, you know, wouldn't that be great if I were to say, I see a new person here. Stand up here and tell us who you are and where you're from. I mean, some of you right now are just like, don't do that. Some of you who know that I know who you are and where you're from said, don't call on me. Right, Messenger Twins? Don't call on me. Yeah, I think that's great. So it's that kind of embarrassment factor, that fear factor. But let me tell you about an experience I had. So I was the pastor. I went to this, this new, our new church in Canada and I was there for two weeks, and I came in, and get this, I came in as lead pastor, and the former lead pastor was still on our church staff. Awkward. 
Now, I'm thinking I'm such a great leader, I could lead through anything, and that's called being an idiot. And, and so this guy, and I love him, he was a great guy, and, and uh, he, he stayed about two years, and then he left, and, and, and it was, but it was so awkward. The, the congregation, they embraced me as the lead. The elder board, they embraced me as the lead. But you know who struggled? The staff. All the pastors going like, who's, it, who's, who's the leader? And listen to me, y'all. Anything with two heads is a freak and freaks die. You just can't have two heads. You can't have two lead pastors. It doesn't work. So it was, and we had a picnic, a staff picnic two weeks in. And Tara and I show up at this picnic and nobody would talk to us. I'm the dead gum boss. Nobody talked to us. And I said, gosh, this, this is terrible. I don't want to be a part of something I'm not accepted in or feel invited into. And that's why it's so important, y'all, as a church family, we're accepting and we're loving and we're welcoming without being creepy, right? That's kind of the big challenge. But what does this mean with God? You know, so many of you, you think you're made right with God by what you show up to. And you think you're made right by God by what you've learned. And so you've learned stuff and you've shown up to stuff, but you missed a relationship with God. All you've been is churched. You've not been redeemed. You see, God's not interested in what you show up to. He's interested in what shows up in you. He's interested in a vital relationship with you and him. He's not interested in your ritual or your religion. He's interested in your heart and your devotion. He wants you to love him and love him as he's loved you. That's pretty incredible. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at the book of Romans. If you have a Bible, there's a Bible in front of you. You can follow along in Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11. Or we're, we're going to project those passages on the screens as well to make it as easy for you as possible. But let's look at this. Here's the first thing I want you to, to grasp. God makes us right with himself. You don't make yourself right with God. God does it himself. God is the one who takes initiation. Now let's look at verse one of chapter five. It starts with this word, therefore. Now, theologically, if I was teaching a class on Romans to you guys, I would say when you see the word therefore, it's a transition word. And let me tell you really what it means. Paul is taking a deep breath here. Paul was, wrote the book of Romans, and this is fantastic to me. As you read Paul's writings in the New Testament, you can see his knowledge of his systematic theology growing. And that's, it's encouraging to me because I've been a pastor a long, long time. God's not finished with me. He's still got remodel work to do. And the same thing with you. Look at your neighbor right now and say, God ain't done with you. And it feels good, doesn't it? That's right. And somebody goes, yep, that's right. He's not. He's not finished. He's still working. And Paul was the same way. Paul's first writings was the book of Thessalonians. And you see kind of his heart, and of course it helps with the Holy Spirit's empowering you to write. And he's writing, and then you see he get a little more deeper in some of the epistles. And then he gets to Rome, and he kind of starts writing the book of Romans. And his systematic theology is like 
perfect. And here in chapter five, he makes this big transition from what? This is what he's doing. Chapter one, he says this. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it's the power of God and the salvation to the Jews and to the Greeks. In fact, you don't have an excuse to not, not receive Christ as Savior because the creation has been declaring his glory. But what you've done is you started spiraling into depravity. And he really takes a shot at Roman, Greco-Roman culture there. And then at chapter one, I'm reading, I'm going, yeah, you go, Paul, get him. And then in chapter two, he says, you're just like them. Oh, (laughs) whoops. And then chapter three, he starts quoting the book of Isaiah because Paul had the whole dadgum Old Testament memorized. Had it all memorized. It was just incredible. Paul has great memory. And he starts quoting the book of Isaiah and he says some things like this. Hey, um, there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standards. All of you are sinners. Well, thanks, Paul. He's just stating the obvious. We're all broken, are we not? The church is not the gathering of the perfected. The church is the fellowship of the broken who have been redeemed by the one who heals us. Huh. You say, well, I got to get my act together before I become part of church. No, ain't nobody in this room got their act together. We got a God who's pulling us together. Y'all with me on that? Then in chapter four, he starts talking about how we are justified by faith. And he tells the story of Abraham. He said, my friend Abraham, he believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. What Paul was doing is reaching back in the book of Genesis where it says in Genesis and Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteous. He was, became right because he believed in God. So salvation in the Old Testament is just the same as the New Testament. It's by faith in God. It's not by your works. Abraham wasn't right with God because Abraham left his country that he knew and he went to a land he didn't do. No, and he had a baby. And it, No, 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 no. Those things happened because he believed. And he reacted out of his belief. And his belief determined his behaviors. His belief made him right, not his behaviors made him right. You see, your behavior will not make you right with God. Your belief will. And out of that belief, you will behave. And that changes the way we think. And and then in chapter five, he takes a deep breath. He goes, therefore, and he talks to us. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, just like Abraham, we've been made right by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we've also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We have access. We have standing with God because he has justified us. And Paul says, you have a sin problem, but we have a justifier. And he's come to make you right with himself. God takes the step, takes the initiation in justifying you. Listen to me very carefully. You can't even come into a relationship with God unless the Spirit of God woos you and draws you. What? That's right. You can't. And it's called conviction. While we were on our away time, our out-of-town trip, I had a great theological conversation with my six-year-old grandnephew named Charlie. And he said to me, Papa, I'm ready to be baptized. 
I said, that's great, Charlie, but we have to have a conversation before I can baptize you. He goes, okay. I said, now let's do this. Let's make an appointment for tomorrow afternoon after you're out of school. I'll put it in my phone. I have an appointment with Charlie and we'll have a conversation about you and Jesus. And he goes, okay. So I put it in my phone and, and made a con- had his daddy attend as well. His daddy is in the Air Force and he's a gunner and he, he flies very dangerous missions and, and his name's Joe and he's a warrior and I love this guy. He's an amazing, amazing young man. And so Joe and Charlie came to see me. And of course it was in my sister's living room. So any kind of formal thing. I said, so tell me, Charlie, what are you thinking? And he says, well, you know, Callie, that's his sister, was baptized, and I want to be baptized too. And I said, do you understand what that means? And he says, no. And so we had a conversation. I said, the first thing, Charlie, you have to realize is that you have done things wrong. I don't ask you, first of all, I said, did you know that God loves you? And he goes, yeah. I said, how do you know that? He goes, I don't know. I said, well, does your mama love you? Yeah. How do you know? Well, I don't know. He's six. I said, does your daddy love you? He goes, yeah. Don't you love me, daddy? He goes, yeah. I said, how do you know? He said, he said it. <laughs> I said, does, does Papa love you, Papa Scott? Yeah. How do you know? I don't know. You just do. I said, you know, God loves you the same way. He just does. He created you, Charlie, to love you. Have you thought about that? God created you to love you. He didn't create you to condemn you. He didn't create you to aggravate you. He didn't create you to drop you into a place of misery. He created you to love you. God has a desire of a family and he's loved us and he put us together in a family as the church so we can love each other while we love him. We are a family because God loves us. He loves you. Then I asked him, I said, Charlie, you ever done anything wrong? I don't know. I said, really? He goes, huh? I said, have you ever killed anybody? He goes, nope. I said, have you ever robbed a bank? Nope. I said, have you ever told a lie? I don't remember. <laughs> and I said, have you ever been mean to your sister? I don't remember. And I said, have you ever disobeyed your parents? I don't remember. And that's what daddy said. Charlie, you do remember. Remember this morning you got trouble. And sometimes we need conviction from an external source, right? I said, Charlie, right now when I ask you those things, how does that make you feel? He goes, it makes me feel worried. I said, that's conviction. And Charlie, you can't even come into relationship with God until he convicts you of your need. That's the same thing with you. We get under conviction. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He convicts us. He said, I need, I need a Savior. I'm not right. I need, I need fixing. I'm broken. I need a Savior. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction in our lives. And when as he does that, he's drawing you lovingly, wooing you, and inviting you into a love relationship with him. And every one of us in this church, in this family, We've all brought under conviction that we should belong to Christ and belong to one another. I think that's pretty powerful. He takes the steps, and it's through faith that we believe. It's through that, yeah, Jesus, I need you. And we recognize that need and admit that need. And by faith, we respond to Christ. And you know what he does? He says this, whosoever will, you can come. If anyone comes to me, I'm not going to throw them out. 
That's what the Bible says. I'm going to take you in. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Jesus doesn't say, oh, I don't know. Let me think about this one. Now, some people I'll look at and say, Jesus, y'all thought about that one. But no, he doesn't. He says, whosoever, come on, I'll take you. Because he loves us. Isn't that incredible? That God is a father and he adopts us. But listen to what he, else he does. That Jesus makes us right with God. And he did it out of incredible love. And being justified, being made right with God, being forgiven, being reconciled to God brings unbelievable benefits in our lives. Unbelievable. Like unprecedented, undeserved privilege. That I get privileges I don't deserve. And in this passage, I read it in several translations, and it said we're brought into right standing or high standing, or we have high regard. In the Greek, it says we have high regard. We have, we have undeserved privileges. A few years back, I was invited to go to uh, North Dallas and to play uh, a golf course called Stonebriar that's owned by Ross Perot. Some of y'all remember Ross Perot? Hi, I'm Ross Perot, and I'm running for president. R Ross Perot? <clears throat> this is my Ross Perot. I got to get down a little bit. Ross Perot, running for president. He owned the country club, and I was going with a guy who worked for Ross Perot in his commercial real estate department. And I had undeserved privileges at that golf course. I didn't pay any green fee. I didn't, they gave me all kinds of hootenanny shirts and tees and balls and even shoes. And I played golf, and I didn't, they fed us. I didn't pay for anything. Why? Because I was with Ross Perot. I was under his privileges. And that's pretty nice. But listen... I have undeserved privileges by God himself. I didn't deserve them. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve the fact that he holds my future in his hands. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve heaven when I die. But I have undeserved privileges because of Jesus. And so do you. That's incredible to me. Then I have peace with God. Peace with God. I've been made right with God. Have confidence from God. That if God is for me, who could be against me? And what could separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing. Then I have joy that comes from God. You know, C.S. Lewis, the great theologian of the last century, he said, joy is the serious business of heaven. Nehemiah, the man of the Old Testament, said that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Most of us, when we think about following Jesus or we think about Christianity, we don't think about joy, do we? But we are to be people filled with joy. Why do you think we have fun around here? Because we want you to be filled with joy. Why do you think we throw parties with a purpose? Why in the world are we going to have bacon at Father's Day? Because we want you to be filled with joy. And other fills your joy belly better than a belly full of bacon. And so we're going to experience joy. That's why we party with a purpose. That's why we do things outside. That's why we, we are, we're joyful people. So many people think Christians have been baptized in vinegar. We've not. We've been baptized in the joy of the Lord. And then here's this cool thing. We have God's shared glory. What? Yeah, shared glory. That the glory of God, which is bright and everlasting, he shares it with us. Says, Come on in. You're, in. you're with me. You're sharing his glory. You're with me because you're my family. You're my family. I love this. I love the fact that God brings us in and he loves us and he holds us and he makes us right and redeems us. 
Yesterday, Tara and I had the wonderful opportunity to go a very, to a very cultured event. We went to a three-year-old's dance recital. There's nothing better. Nothing, it's better than going to the Russian ballet. My tongue is firmly in cheek as I say these things. And we watched little Ivy dance. And it was filled us with joy. And we shared the glory of being a papa and a Gigi. And the delight of that. And that's how God is with us. He delights. You know, my job as a grandfather, my job as a grandfather is never to correct, always to indulge. Right? The other day she got in trouble. We were at dinner and she got in trouble. I said, you come here to Papa. And my daughter says, Daddy, you're not helping. I said, I am not here to help. I'm here to comfort. <laughs> and you know, you'll have to fix what I start later. Because this is payback, sister. Yeah. That's how God is. He's not this kindly grandfather, but he's this loving father. You know what? He corrects us because he loves us. And he directs us because he loves us. But the biggest thing he does is he justifies us. He makes us right with himself. And there's hope in our lives, even when life is hard. Even when circumstances turn on us. Listen to what Paul says as he goes on in Romans 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint or does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who, is, who has been given to us. What, what does that mean? That we live in the security of belonging to Jesus and realize that hardships and troubles and suffering come, but they're only temporary. They're not going to last forever. And the temporary hardships and the struggles we go through, this is God is able to deliver us. And God is able to comfort us. And God wants to build our character through it that we might become closer to him, more loved by him, more dependent upon him. I want to tell you something. I'm never closer to God than when I'm really in need. And that's the way we all are. And we live with the knowledge, live with the knowledge that our God is able. Listen to what Paul said to the church at Ephesus. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, more abundantly than we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us. God is able. The God is able to heal you from the diagnosis of your doctor. God is able to restore your wayward children. God is able to supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. God is able. There's nothing too hard for him. And we live with that knowledge that God is able. But I want to tell you where the character's developed. The character's developed not in the ability of God, but in the willingness of God. God is able, but is he willing? Well, I hold on to him even when he seems to be unwilling. And my character and my hope is built in trusting him, not in trusting my circumstances or predicting the outcome of my circumstances. Do you ever do this? I do this. I pray and give God suggestions on how things should work out. Am I the only one? Now, God, here's three options you might want to consider. Like he needs my help. And the thing is, I have to find my character being forged and the fact that I'm going to trust in him no matter what. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego found in the book of Daniel, three guys that were carried off into captivity into a Babylonian culture where you had a crazy whack attack king. And this king sets up a monument to himself. He says, everybody bows down and worships. If you don't bow down and worship, I'm going to throw you in a fire furnace. Shadrach and Meshach Abednego go, peace out, brother. We ain't doing that. Nope. And he said, I'm going to throw you in a fire furnace. And they said, throw us in the fire furnace. That's fine. Our God's able to save us from the fire furnace. It's no big deal for our God. Throw us in the furnace. And they said, even if he doesn't save us, we ain't worshiping you. And if he does not, we will not worship you. That's character of hope. Even if God doesn't heal me, I will serve you. I will follow you. Even if God does not restore my wayward children, I am not giving up on God. Because he's able. And maybe the restoration of my children Maybe at my death, so be it. Let's go all for Jesus. Wow. And God is more interested in my character than he is my comfort. But God will comfort me in the middle of my character being shaped by adversity. He's able. He's able. My prayer is willing So I'm going to keep holding on to him. And hope does not disappoint because hope is not a feeling. Hope is the indwelling Holy Spirit in the heart of every one of you who believed in Jesus. You see, the moment you said yes to Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God moved into your heart. It doesn't come at some second thing. He comes at the moment you trust in him. Why? Because you can't divide God into three things. He's the Lord, our God is one God. When you, tra- when you trust Jesus, you get the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You get the full dose of the Holy Ghost at that time, y'all. And so he comes to dwell in our hearts. And that doesn't disappoint. Listen to you. To them God gave, listen to this. To them God gave, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, which is this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That Christ lives in me. Now here's the last thing I want to say with a lot more last things to go with it. We cannot make ourselves right with God. We can't earn it. We don't deserve it. We can't do it. But God can do it. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you. You're ungodly. Christ died for you. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, ungodly, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we now have been justified by his blood, that's the blood of Christ, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. That means saved from an eternality in hell. We've been saved from the wrath of God. But also the wrath of God in, in this wrath he's going to pour out on the earth of those who are living who have not repented. And for while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more thou that we've reconciled shall we be saved by his life. And more than that. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we have now received reconciliation. Jesus has made you right. Rejoice in it. Rejoice in it. 
You see, when I was helpless and hopeless, Christ came. And he gave me help and he gave me hope. This is unthinkable love. It seems like God could have figured out a better way to get us saved than coming to die for us. But this is unthinkable love. This is extravagant love. This is love beyond all understanding. I was doing premarital counseling not long ago. I said to the old boy, I said, are you willing to lay down your life for your wife? He goes, yeah, I'll step in front of a bullet for her. I said, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Are you willing to give up the remote control for her? Are you willing to put the toilet seat down for her? Are you willing to take out the trash for her and make the bed for her and put the 10,000 pillows on the bed for her? And what Jesus is saying, I want your life. I want your life. And that's unthinkable love. You see, we're made right with God to live right all for Jesus. Huh. Here's a thought I want you to hold on to. You then and me, you and me in the church, we're friends of God. We're friends of God. Hmm. And this is the same covenant relationship he had with Abraham, that Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteous, and God called him a friend. Same thing with you. You're a friend of God. In fact, one translation says we are now friends with God. And Paul was reaching back and quoting from Genesis, which he had it memorized. So what are you going to do? How are you going to live now that you know that you've been made with God? How are you going to respond? How are we going to live as a family? Here's some things I want you to think about. I want you to answer. Do you know that God loves you? Do you know that? Do you know that you've done things wrong the Bible calls sin? Do you realize you're broken? Do you realize that Jesus died for your sins on the cross so you can be made right with him? you know that? Have you ever said yes to Jesus and, and taken what he's offered to you as a free gift of life? Have you ever called upon the name of the Lord and been saved? Have you done that? If you have, say, yes, thank you, Jesus. If you haven't, then, then today's your day. Today's your day. We're going to celebrate communion in just a moment. The bread and the cup. And this meal is for Christians, for people who've given their life to Jesus. We don't have any sacraments in our church. We, oh, yeah, we have one, and that's faith in Jesus Christ. Everything else we do is a symbol of that faith. And so we have a, the, the, the symbol of, of communion. And you can eat the bread and drink the cup. And, and anyone in this room, whether or not you're a member here or not, it doesn't matter. As long as you belong to Jesus, you're welcome at the communion table with us. We practice open communion here. If you trust in Christ, we're not going to ask you to show us your ID. You're, you're welcome. But if you're not a Christian, it's not for you. But it can be. Today, you can pray and receive Christ as your Savior. You can be reconciled with God today and receive communion. Baptism is the other symbol of believing. That you're baptized after you believed. Let me tell you about Charlie. I walked through all this with Charlie and I said, Charlie, are you ready to ask Jesus to come into your heart? He said, yes, sir. So we, we pray together. 
And Charlie prayed with me. And this is the prayer I said, Charlie prayed. I said, Charlie, just, just believe this in your heart the best you can. He's six. Best you can. Just pray this with Papa. Just believe it. He said, okay. I said, Lord Jesus. He said, Lord Jesus, I realize that I'm a sinner. He said, I realize I'm a sinner. And said, I need you to save me. He goes, I need you to save me. I ask you to forgive my sins. Come into my heart and be my savior. And I'm going to live for you. Jesus, I'm yours. He prayed that with me. He said, amen. And he looked at me. I said, so Charlie, how do you feel? He goes, I feel great. I got to go tell grandma. I got to tell mama. I got to tell my sister. She wasn't impressed. I got to tell, I got to go tell Aunt Tara. And you know, he didn't say, I'm going to be baptized. He said, I've got Jesus in my heart. Then he came back to me and says, can now I be baptized? I said, you betcha. And you know what his daddy said? I want to be baptized too. So I baptized Joe and then Joe and I baptized Charlie. What about you? Is today the day you say yes to Jesus? And say yes. Now let's have communion together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you've said to us in your word this morning. And I thank you that your word does not return without doing exactly what you want it to do. And I pray, Father, that people in this room will make decisions this morning that change their destiny forever. With your heads bowed and no one looks and no one knows, this was between you and God. If you've never trusted Christ, it doesn't matter how long you've gone to church, but if you never trusted Christ and today is your day, you feel the drawing of the Holy Spirit, then why don't you just pray that prayer that Charlie prayed? Lord Jesus, just pray with me believing. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I know I need a savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And I ask that you come into my heart and you be my savior. And I'm gonna live for you all my life. Jesus, I'm yours. Jesus, I'm yours. If you just prayed that with me, that Jesus has just done what you ask. Welcome to the family. Now, maybe you're here this morning, you're like me, you've trusted Jesus a long time ago. Can you just be reminded today, hey, I belong to Jesus and I belong to the family. And I'm gonna let the joy of the Lord be my strength. And I'm gonna love God in spite of my circumstances. And I'm gonna live with the fact that I know God is able, even if he says he's not willing, he's able. And I'm gonna to live together in the family. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our hearts and our lives. And Father, as we take communion together, we are declaring we belong to you and we're declaring that we belong to each other. And we pray this all in your son's strong name. Amen.